take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. I'll be focusing primarily on verses 7 through 10, but for the sake of context, I'll read 1 through 13, just to give you the full idea. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Two years ago, I was a sophomore here at Masters, in case you're wondering how, why I'm a junior now, it's because I kind of skipped a year there along the way. Um, I was living at the village, and I really enjoyed myself here. I was beginning to grow, beginning to get an idea of what it means to be a Christian. Um, throughout my high school years, I'd not been very faithful, and so this was like my first chance to really start getting the hang of this Christianity thing, you know what I mean? I mean, I just, it was all new to me in a lot of ways. There were two problems, though. And as I would spend time in the Word, and I would be praying, and I would be spending time with God, and, and uh, doing a lot of good things, I thought. I was involved with a ministry team. I was discipling a kid. I realized two problems in my life that I didn't know what to do with. One of them was this. I wasn't seeing my sin. I would pray, and I'd go, God, I need to be confessing to you. I know I'm a sinner, but I'm just not seeing it. And I honestly, I, I thought I was doing a good job. My behavior was good. I was improving in all sorts of areas of my life. I was getting over some uh, areas of habitual sin. I was doing good. And I kept going, but God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm not seeing it. Why not? And the second thing I noticed that I was never being confronted. I didn't get confronted once the whole year. And that bothered me. Because I figured I must be doing something wrong somewhere. And someone's got to be saying that I'm a sinner and doing something wrong. Why isn't anyone telling me? What am I missing? What am I not seeing? So I got to thinking about that, and, uh, and as I look back on it now, I've, I've, I've kind of pinpointed one major area, I think, that I was avoiding, that I was not dealing with, and that's the issue of transparency, of being honest, of being straightforward with who I am, not only with God, but with the people around me. See, because what happened is I went to Germany last year, and, and I was working as a youth worker over there, and... Uh, when, before going, I was pretty psyched about getting out there. I was pretty excited. I'd take my youth ministry classes. I knew a lot of stuff in my head. I had a lot of theories and stuff that I was going to work with. I got out there and I fell on my face. I blew it. I failed in so many ways. It was, it was pathetic. And it wasn't until about, oh, April, 
on this last year, I finally just sat down with the guy I was working with, a guy named Dan Hash, and I just go, Dan, I'm, I'm not making it here. I'm blowing it. I'm not doing well. I don't feel like I'm having an impact on kids. Just things are not going well. I don't know what to do. I feel like such a failure. I feel like I shouldn't even be out here right now. And it was at that point that God really started working on my heart. It was at that point when I started being honest with my sin, started being transparent about where I was struggling, and God began to really work. So we've been told a lie. We've been told that the hero, the one we're supposed to respect and admire, is the, is the individual, the rugged individual, the one person by himself standing out there overcoming all his problems, all his foes, all his enemies. Look at some of the recent movies like Dances with Wolves. There's one guy out there and he's just making it. That's, that's what we look up to, the individual, the lone ranger, you know? The one guy who makes it. And that's just not the way God has designed us. He's designed us for relationships. He's designed us to be interdependent with each other. And there's really vital reasons why God has designed us for that. The fact is, it's much easier to hide our problems. It's much easier to put up a, a veneer, a, a, a facade, whatever the word is, and to cover up and to not let people in. It's much easier. And why? Because the pattern was set right here in Genesis 3. Let's take a look at the passage. In verse 7, what's the very first thing Adam did after sinning? The very first thing he did. It says right there in the verse, They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings. It seems like a real minor thing, but I think it's very important. The fact is, they covered up. They covered up from each other. Adam and Eve were now embarrassed. In verse 10, you see why. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. And we do the exact same thing. I think um, I, I see about three major reasons here on campus why we hide from each other, why we cover up our sin. And that's what I want to focus on first. Um, I don't think it should be that way. But this is what happens. And the first reason why we cover up is because of pride. I think pride comes up in two different ways. One is independence. There's this idea, and in a sense it's true, but there's the idea that it's just me and God, and that's it. No one else needs to know. And it's real tempting. When I blow it, I don't know about you, but when I blow it, it's real tempting for me just to turn to God and go, God, I blew it, but let's just keep this between ourselves. You know, because I don't want anyone to know. And it's not because I'm so trusting in God and I'm so dependent on God. It's because I'm embarrassed and I don't want anyone to know about it. I don't want my reputation to be damaged. Because it's not cool to be a sinner, especially here on this campus. And what happens is, is this place can become a breeding ground for Pharisees, people who are walking the talk, talking the talk, but aren't real. They don't admit their struggles. They don't tell anyone. And I think it's tragic really sad it's very tempting to keep my sin to myself very tempting so what we do is someone asks me how I'm doing I'll say I'm fine fine how you doing fine doing good everything's okay when in fact I'm dying I'm dying I'm not doing well at all or another thing we do is well I need to spend some time alone with God and sometimes that's good I'm not belittling that but sometimes you go I need to spend some time alone with God you want to know why because I don't want you to know where I'm really at I don't want to let you in. Or another thing I often say is I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. Right? I, don't want, I don't want to talk to anyone about this. When I need to. I need to tell someone. Because what we forget is this. God speaks to us through several ways. One, through, the, through his word. Spend time in scripture and God speaks to you. And there are times when I'll sit down with my Bible and I'll read a verse and it'll just nail me. I'll just, oh my, you know. It's like, whoops. Huh, you know. And it'll just nail me right to the wall. And there are other times when I'm praying with God and it's just, 
I'm trying to make a decision and I'm just not at peace with the decision until finally I just go, okay, this is what I need to do. It's something I'm resisting, you know. And there are those times when God really puts that impression on you, I think, where you realize, yeah, this is what I need to do. This is what God wants me to do. The third way, the third way is through other people. Because if God's spirit is indwelling in each of us, then God is working through us. Therefore, I'm a conduit for God's spirit to speak to you. If I'm walking in the spirit and you're walking in the spirit and I'm asking you what to do, and if you're walking by God's power, you're going to have some information for me that I may need to know. Therefore, it's only logical. It makes sense. We should be talking to each other, finding out what to do. See, in short, what happens, we're just like Adam, covering ourselves up from Eve. So that's one way we're prideful. We try to be independent, try to be the lone ranger, do it all on our own. The second way we're prideful is through a fear of confrontation. And this is classic. I hate being confronted on my sin. I, I do not enjoy it one bit. I don't think anyone does. I can't imagine why. It's, it's painful. It stinks, you know. I don't like having someone come into my life and point out my sin. Thank you very much, you know. Um, it's a real bummer. Um, I remember one time last semester, um, I'm kind of in a unique situation right now with having my sister here because she's family, you know. And so I can't just brush her off when I want to. It's kind of a bummer. And, uh, the opposite applies, too. She stuck with me just as much. So, um, you know, one time last semester we were talking, and I have a, I have a very bad habit of um, I'll talk about people in a positive sense. I'll tell other people about someone and not actually tell them. And I was doing it to my sister left and right. She'd, she'd be hearing from all these different people how I'm talking good about her. And how, yeah, your brother says you're great, la, 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 la. And she's never hearing it from me. So we're sitting there talking one day. She goes, you know, I keep hearing that, that you like me and stuff like that. And you, you know, <laughs> um, that you care about me, that you love me. How come you never tell me that? It stinks, you know. I don't like it at all. But it's so necessary. And we're afraid to be confronted, I think. We, we hide, we cover up because we don't want someone to point out our sin to us. It's not all that pleasant. That is very painful. Another reason, okay, so first is pride through independence and through a fear of being confronted. Another reason, number two, why, we're, why we hide, I think is because of a very legitimate reason. It's because we're afraid to be criticized without love. Another word, gossip. I know what it's like around here. I know how people talk. Um, I just announced Greg Gemmel's engagement, but I know most of you already knew that because it gets around. That's on a more positive side. But, I mean, I had a friend of mine who struggled with the same area of recurring sin for eight years, never told anyone. Eight years, the same thing, he kept blowing it, kept failing, could not get back on his feet again. Just was struggling, like, you not believe, we're not telling anyone. You want to know why? I asked him, I know why, what happened? Because I was afraid of being mocked for it. I knew I would be, because I knew how my friends were, I knew what my youth pastor was like. I knew I was going to get mocked for it. I didn't want to tell him. I, didn't, I wasn't really into being ripped apart. Um, another way I think, and it's kind of funny because I'm kind of experiencing it right now, um, standing up here in front of you. I'm scared of some of you people. To be honest, I am. Because I don't know what you're going to say about me when I'm through. I don't mind if you talk about what I've talked about. If you look at the scriptures and discuss it and try to arrive at the truth, that doesn't bother me. But when you start shredding me, that hurts. And I know how we talk about chapel speakers because there's a, there's, a, there's a sense where you feel superior if you can cut what the other person said and show yourself to be better. Isn't it? Is that true? So I'm frightened of some of you people, you know? Seriously. And what's ironic is that I'm guilty of it myself. So I guess what comes around goes around, huh? Kind of funny. Third reason, and because of intimidation. 
I look at some people on this campus and they seem to have it so together that they're just totally unapproachable to me. They seem to have every duck in a row, you know? Everything's together, they're doing everything right. They even dress well, you know? I mean, everything's just perfect. And I just go, I can't relate to that. Oftentimes we'll have chapel speakers up here and they'll, they'll be talking and they'll say stuff and they appear so strong and I go, how can you be so strong? I don't relate to that because I'm failing all the time. How can you do that? I don't relate. I think it's really interesting, the fact that Jesus, no matter how hard he was in those Pharisees, when you read Matthew 23, he shredded the Pharisees. I mean, he, that was brutal. But I find it very interesting that mothers still brought their children to him. Isn't that weird? Jesus was so approachable. And I don't, I don't think godliness equates unapproachability or aloofness. I think it's tragic. Um, while I was preparing for the sermon, I was really convicted about this area. I was kind of wondering, well, I wonder if I'm approachable. You know, I'm going to be preaching about how bad it is, and here I am, a real jerk, and not letting anyone in. So I asked a couple of my friends, I go, am I approachable? And, and I don't know if they're being nice, but they said I was, so that's kind of cool. But um, <laughs> that's, that's a goal in my life. That really is. I want to be very approachable. I want people to be able to walk right up to me and say whatever they, they're thinking and know that I will take it and I won't stab them in the back or do something mean to them afterwards and talk about them. Um, the thing I like about Jesus so much is that he was human. We tend to forget that. We tend to over-spiritualize him. But he was very much a man. He was very human. He was tired. He wept. He experienced emotions. And he welcomed people to come talk to him. One area where this really came up strong in my life was just last semester. Um, after I got back from Germany and experiencing such a rough year of just a lot of failures, I was really tired. And after leaving Germany, come back here, I arrived back in the States in August, spent a month at home, and that month was just hellish. It was brutal. I sat there and I was, I was emotionally burnt out because I just left 40 kids who I cared about very deeply over there in Germany, and I just had to say goodbye to them. And kids who I just spent a year just pouring into, a couple of kids in particular, who I had just really spent a lot of time with. I mean, all night sessions and stuff like that, just talking and really getting to know them and pouring my life in them. And saying goodbye was a, an incredibly painful experience. And I was just wiped out. Not only that, spiritually, I was just a mess. I was, just, I was not in, my, in the Bible, not praying, not spending time with God like I knew I needed to be. And I was beat. I got back to school here, and I just felt this tall. I just I had a, such a hard time being here. And I remember that very first chapel we had was a testimony chapel. I don't know if you all remember it or not. And I don't remember who all came up and shared. I don't remember what was said. I remember I was sitting right there at the piano. And I remember that every single person who got up here had a success story. Everyone who came up here had a story about how God had just come through for them in amazing ways. And everything had worked out. And God was just amazing. And I'm sitting there going, I don't relate. My summer stank, you know. I'm not ripping people who came up to you and have success stories. I think it's great that God is working people's lives and that they were able to experience that. I'm not belittling that at all. I think that's wonderful. But I sat there just going, man, I wish someone would get up there and share that God didn't make it. Or not that, but they didn't see God working, that they failed. And I wanted to get up here and just, there's part of me, I really want to stand up and just go, wait a minute, you know, uh, I had a brutal summer. I'm beat, I'm tired, I feel real bruised, I'm broken. I came crawling back to Masters. I didn't come back a victor. And there's times right now where I'm not even sure I belong here. I don't know if I deserve this. This place is too nice for me, you know? I mean, everything's so um, beneficial for my growth. I don't know if I belong here anymore. I'm tired. You know, and, and I wanted to give him just go, you know, uh, 
I'm not sure what my next step is. I'm not quite sure where God is right now. I'm feeling kind of distant from him. Please pray for me. Thanks. And sit down. I didn't dare to. Want to know why? Because I compared myself with everyone else's testimony. Everyone else seemed to be doing okay, so therefore I'm not allowed to share my struggles. That's too bad. I think that's another reason why we hide. We don't want to admit that we're failing. Can I give you a rule of thumb? Write this down somewhere. This is classic. This has been my model for this year. May the image you are projecting of who you are pale in comparison with who you are in reality. Can I say that again? May the image you project of who you are pale in comparison with the reality of who you are. That has changed my life. I don't want anyone to be thinking that I've got it together. I don't. I blow it on a regular basis, and I've got some guys here who know it very well. And they call me on it. Well, what does the Bible have to say about this? If we're going to be covering ourselves up through these three things, what does the Bible have to say that we, to, to fight this? I'm going to look at it. I've got three scriptures here. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible just recently. It's just, it's just become alive to me. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. It reads like this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift them up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. There are three points in this passage I really want to apply right now to here. One of them is this, verse 10. I think it's such a, a tragic line. Woe to the one who falls without another to lift them up. It's tough when you are struggling with sin and you're blowing it and you've got no one to tell, no one to help you, and you feel like you're the only one doing it. That's brutal. Anyway, uh, I think Solomon who wrote this, woe to the one who falls and there's no one there to help him up. That is sad. It shouldn't be that way. It's not the way God designed it. Second part there um, that I want to point out in the last verse, if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. We all need help to fight the enemy. The fact is, all of us blow it, blow it. None of us make the standard. We all need help from each other to keep going. And it's so much easier if you've got someone else who knows where you're at to help you, who will walk with you through your struggles. You've got to let them in. You've got to let them in. The last thing I want to bring out um, is related to a story. Last year when I was with Malachi, uh, one of the other workers, her name was Candy, uh, just a wonderful person. She was so cool. I, just, I loved her to death. Oh, she was great. She was one of the best youth workers out there. And I remember uh, around, right around March, um, she got a letter, or no, she got a phone call from a doctor saying that her mother was dying back here in the States. And in fact, they didn't know when she would die. It could be in a matter of weeks. It could be a matter of months. It could be a matter of days. No one really knew. And so actually, we had our, uh, we had every two weeks we'd have a meeting where all of us would get together and um, just kind of regroup and share our struggles and, and just talk with each other and encourage each other. And she sat there just talking about how she was just really hurting. And th- her mom was basically the last person in her family who she was really close to, and she did not want to lose her mom. Her mom was saved, and that was really exciting, but she did not want to lose the companionship. She wanted to be able to spend some time with her. And so she was going to be leaving to go back in a few days, but as she was sharing... She just started to bawl. I mean, she was just wept openly. And I, I, I sat there, and I brought back to mind several other times, and I remember people who start crying in meetings, and I always notice that usually they'll walk out. You ever notice that, like, in a small group Bible study, if someone kind of gets, starts getting, I don't know, touched or starts crying or is, is hurting, there's a tendency to cover up and kind of walk away, and I don't want anyone to see me crying. My mom does this all the time. Anytime I have to leave, 
she just starts crying. She's really emotional like that, and I think it's really great. And she starts crying, and, and uh, she always starts to cover up. She gets all nervous. She's like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be crying. I'm like, Mom, no way, please do, you know? Um, <laughs> kind of cool. Um, there's that tendency to hide. And what I thought was so cool is we're in this meeting, and she just sat there, and she just wept. For like five minutes, we just sat there with her. And a bunch of us were crying with her, you know? It was, it was rough emotionally. I thought it was so cool because we were just there supporting her, just being with her. With her. I think that's what that verse number, uh, verse 11 means. How can, how can one be warm alone? We sat there and we warmed her up. We comforted her. That's what the body of Christ is all about. But if you're not letting someone in, how can that happen? The next verse I want to look at is Hebrews 10. Uh, I think you guys know what I'm going to say here. Hebrews 10, 24. Um, should probably even just quote it, but I just want to make sure I get it right. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is the purpose for assembling together? So we can encourage each other to good deeds. So we can encourage each other to be loving each other. Problem is this, how do I stimulate you to good deeds if I don't know where you're at? How can I effectively help you move forward if I don't know where you're standing? And how can you do the same with me? God designed the body of Christ for a reason. We're designed to be encouraging and motivating each other to good deeds. That's what we're here for. We here are, are supposed to be doing that. I find it amazingly lacking. Amazingly lacking. We tend to be more critical than encouraging, and that's sad. The last verse I want to look at is Galatians 6. I want to sit here for a minute. Galatians 6, verse 1. says, brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. The obvious question is this, how can someone come alongside and restore me if they don't know I'm struggling, if they don't know I'm failing? I need to be open about that. I need to be admitting to someone, letting them in to know where I'm struggling so that they will help me. Because we all need help. We're all blown it. We all need accountability so badly. So why isn't it happening? One of the things I notice is this. We've been taught a lot to be confrontive. We've been reminded again and again, you need to be confronting. It's one of the master's distinctives. Matthew 18, you know, be confronting. And so what happens, we've all, it's like we've all got our little pulpits. I'm going to use this because it's right here. I've got little pulpits and we're like this, hiding behind it. You know, we're watching each other so carefully to see if anyone misses the mark. If I catch you, I'm going to come talk to you. And what ends up happening is everyone starts confronting each other for real petty, dumb issues like dress code. You know what I mean? I mean, come on. Okay, now, I'm not, I'm not here to knock the dress code. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if that's the only thing I'm getting confronted for, obviously I'm not letting anyone in. Because that's all you're seeing in my life. That's pretty pathetic. I'm obviously hiding very effectively. They're not blue, by the way. So that is a problem. That is a major problem. I'm not letting you in to see where I'm at. We've got a problem. So everyone's running around ready to confront, ready to confront, and no one is open for correction. Proverbs 12, 1 says this, he who hates correction is stupid. NASB version. I love it. It's one of the few times I really like the way NASB put it. He who hates correction is stupid. I am an idiot if I don't let you in and see where I'm struggling so you can help me. 
It's just retarded. Because if I don't, it makes it... If I don't let you in, it makes it that much harder for me to be honest about it. Jeremiah 17, 9, what does it say? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I can't. I don't know my own heart. And that was why I was so inadequate back there in my sophomore year. And that's why I was struggling so much and not seeing my sin. I was deceiving myself. It's the difference between those two uh, people who went to pray in Jesus' parable, Luke 9, the tax collector and the Pharisee. The Pharisee had it all together. I'm glad I don't do this. I don't do that. I'm not like them. The tax collector is just going, God, have mercy. Have mercy. When's the last time you've sat down and you've honestly prayed out because you know your sin because someone just confronted you on it? You're just going, God, have mercy. Because I am a sinner. The next thing that they did in Genesis 3 is they hid from God. Flip back there real quick. Genesis 3, starting in chapter 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, Oh, and he said, Adam said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Which is perhaps the dumbest excuse I've ever heard in my life. Of course he's naked. He's always been naked. I always thought that was kind of weird, but... So the next thing we do is we hide from God and we lie to God. Two things that Adam did there. He hid from God and he lied to God. That's what we do too. I think the three main reasons I want to focus on why we do this. First one is obvious, rebellion. Simple, basic rebellion. The fact that some of you in this room right now are going to hell breaks me. It does. It's tragic. I don't want to see any of you go to hell. And I never assumed for a minute that everyone in here is saved. It just breaks my heart to know that some of you here are just going through the motions and faking it, spending, what is it, $12,000 a year to go to school here when you don't want to be honest about your sin, you don't want to repent, you just want to live in rebellion, you want to live for yourself. That's sad. It's a waste of money. I mean, if I, want to do, if I really want to live in sin, this is not where I'd be. <laughs> go to USC or something like that, live it up, why not? You know, Why come here where I have to feel guilty about it? I think that's really sad. People come here like that. And people who are saved, I know there's some of you who are just feeling rebellious and you don't want to admit to God, not ready to do that yet. You're fighting it. You don't want to be honest about it. You want to maintain your image. It's just rebellion. It's sin. You need to confess it. You need to get it right. So if anything, if you get anything out today, if you're struggling with that, if you, you are rebelling against God, I would ask God to plead with you. Repent. Come back. Tell someone what's going on. Get back with God. It's really interesting to me that uh, Paul wrote about Demas and he said he left, went to Thessalonica because he loved this present world. If you're rebelling against God, that's too bad because there's so much more to this place. There's nothing here for you. Second reason is because we hide from God because we forget about certain aspects of his character. Here we are preach, remind, we're reminded again and again of what the standard is, what God expects. He is holy, he is just. The majesty of God, the, the, just the immenseness of him. I, I hear that a lot, and, and it's good. I need to remind you that God is a holy God and that he's a just God. But if we're not reminded that he's also merciful, that there's room for failure, we're going to end up walking around with a huge load of guilt. Because, like, I'll never make that standard. And the fact is, the level of holiness, none of you make it. None of, I don't make it. No one does. 
But if you don't get reminded of that, sometimes you forget. You start thinking that, you know, I need to, I need to be doing so much better, and I'm just failing, I'm failing, you get all miserable, and you don't want to talk to God because you're so embarrassed. When God's just going, just come to me as you are, not as you want to be, as you are. Margaret Becker wrote a song. I think it was just, I just got her tape yesterday, and it's so good. She's a new one out, by the way, and it's, it goes like this. She has a song that goes, I dream of a perfect life where I do you no wrong. Where you draw the line and I cling to it. I dream of hearing no other voice. But so many, so many mistakes I make, so needing of a touch of grace. I dream of living a holy life where you are all I need, where all my joy comes from serving you and putting you first in everything. But so many, so many mistakes I make, so needing of a touch of grace. And the chorus goes, I'll never be an angel, but here I am again praying for wings to fly. I'll never be an angel, but here I am again praying for a change in my life. Isn't that beautiful? And it's so true. We tend to think that we've got to be making the standard. We've got to be doing it all. And God's going, look, I know you're going to blow it. I know you're going to fail. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? I, I think I've said this before in chapel, and I think it's one of my favorite verses. Which when Peter's all, I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to stand by you all the way, gung-ho. Jesus goes, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. When you have fallen, get back up, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is already looking at the other side. You know, it's so cool. God doesn't just... Um, expect us all to be perfect. That's the goal we're aiming for, but he knows we're going to blow it, and he's already set up a way to come back. I think it's kind of nice. So you can get really burdensome at times if you just hear message after message about what God demands when you feel like you're not the only one making it. The third thing is I think we have a wrong view of what spirituality is all about. We have a wrong view of what spirituality is all about. What happens often is we think that God is into modifying behavior, that if I'm doing everything right, then I must be okay. And that was my problem back in my sophomore year. I was doing everything right. I spent, I'm telling you this. I spent every morning, I'd get up early, spend time praying. I was journaling. I've got a stack this thick of my journal. I mean, I, I was doing it right. I was praying, journaling, spending time in the Word. I was on a ministry team. I was discipling a guy. I led a guy to the Lord even that year. I was doing everything right. I thought I wasn't real. I wasn't seeing my sin. It's, it's wrong. So we, we often we set up a list. You know what I mean? A list of things. If I'm doing this many things, I must be okay. And if the list is short enough, we accomplish our things and we feel self-righteous. If the list is too long, we're falling short of our own list and we walk around with this huge burden of guilt that we don't need to have. We don't need to carry that around with us. I think it's really interesting that because of the way this school is set up, it's designed to, to help you, to nurture you, and it protects you from a lot of the evils of the world. They set up different rules and stuff like that, and the environment is very positive, very conducive toward growth. But if you start to think that all there is to this Christianity thing is modifying your behavior, if all there is is, you know, okay, I'm not drinking anymore, I'm not smoking anymore, and I'm praying now every day, and I'm reading my Bible every day, that's all there is to Christianity, you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. See, rabbis study scripture way more than any of us do. They memorize the whole Old Testament. But they don't know God. Tragic. AA, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, can cure you of your drinking problem. Just behavior modification. Just a big psychology thing. That's not what Christianity is all about. There's more to it than that. There's something about having a hunger for God, to know God, as opposed to just doing the right things. And I think that's where we miss out. See, I know there's a lot of you, because I've done this too, a lot, of you, a lot of you are just trudging through your quiet times. You've been taught time and again that you need to pray, you need to have a quiet time in the morning. So a lot of you are, you get up, you get your cup of, you know, I know the things, you get your cup of coffee, get your Bible, and you're looking at it, and you're just going, 
I don't feel like reading this, you know. I know a lot for, you, a lot for the freshmen, this becomes a textbook to you, not a, not, a, not a source of joy. That's tragic if that's all Christianity is reduced to, a bunch of list of rules. It's just legalism. So the three things that keep us from God, I think, make us hide from God, rebellion, not knowing who God is, and not understanding what the spiritual life's all about. Something more on that last one is, uh, just remember it is, um, the fact is a Christian life is a struggle. The fact is you're going to blow it. The fact is you're going to fail. It's okay. Get back up and keep going. That's what the whole point is. This race that we're in, it's not a race to see who gets first place. It's a race to see who finishes. You keep going. So what does God really expect of me? Let's take a look at the Bible and what it has to say. First John 1, 8, 9. How does God view us? What does God think of us? I often get this feeling like God's up there going, well, I made you this promise that I'll let you into my heaven, so, well, okay, I think I will. You know, and that's just not true. You look here, um, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Two things there. One, I was deceiving myself back in my sophomore year because I was not seeing my sin. But it's there. The fact is it's there. And I'm deceiving myself if I don't see it. That's what it says right there in the verse. So I need to be confessing. Confess your sin to God. Get it right with him. Talk to him about it. Be honest. And uh, don't pray like this. It's just a suggestion. But this is what I often am guilty of doing. I'm really mad at someone. And I'm like, I'm really hacked. I'm sitting there going, God. And I'm just screaming, going, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be this way. I just want to rip their head off. And I'm not sorry at all. But I'm not supposed to confess. And so I just kind of go through the words. That's wrong. I'm just, what I'm doing is I'm compounding sin. Not only am I angry and sin and doubt, now I'm sinning because I'm lying to God as well. Making it even worse. Better yet, I found what I do now is I just go, God, I'm angry. I can't get over it. Can't do it. Um, I just had a, a friend of mine about four months ago who I was becoming very close to. Um, she just kind of cut the relationship with me. Just ended it. Wrote me a letter and said, I, I, I don't know, I don't like the way relationships are going, so I don't want to talk to you anymore. Kind of, <clears throat> thank you. And uh, for quite a while, I was pretty hacked. I was really mad, and I was just going, God, that's not fair. It's not fair, it's not right. And even just a month ago, I was praying, I was just going, God, I'm still mad about it. You know, several months have gone by, I'm still struggling with this. I'm going, God, I'm still angry, I don't want to be this way. And fine, I just gave up. Just go, God, I can't get over it. I can't. I'm so mad at this girl, and I can't get over it. Help me. It's been really amazing to see what has been happening. God started pointing out areas where I had really hurt her that I just kind of looked over, you know. It's amazing what confession does. Because when you start admitting to God, just looking at it, going, this is sin, and I don't like it, then God starts cleansing you of it. He starts to take it away. And I found this to be so true. One reason why I like the Psalms so much is because I see a very transparent person writing there. Psalms like uh, 119 verse 176, while oh, I have strayed like a lost sheep, come find me. Isn't that cool? I've strayed like a lost sheep, come find me. That's honesty with God. It's just going, God, I need help. Another one, Psalm 10 verse 1. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That is just an honest cry of desperation. Come get me, please. I'm not making it. So I think the first step 
just starting to overcome sin or start getting yourself right with God is to admit there's a problem, confess it. Be honest about it. Be straight with it. Confess it. Another verse I think is really cool is Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Where Paul is writing, he's kind of toward the end, he's really encouraging the Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, there it is. It says, uh, verse 12 of chapter 3. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ. In verse 14 there, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of, call of God. Even Paul hadn't made it yet. When you look at Romans 7 where he starts ripping on himself, going, oh, wretched man that I am. Paul hadn't made it yet either. He was still struggling with sin even at the end. This is the guy who wrote half the Bible, half the New Testament rather. I can relate with that. I look at that and I go, cool, I'm not so bad, you know, God still loves me, yay. But I think the best verse, my favorite one, is Hebrews 4.16. This one is so cool. Hebrews 4.16. Some of you know it already. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. That is awesome. We can approach God's throne with confidence. Why? Because it's the throne of grace and we're there to find mercy. And if you look in the context, verse 13, this could be a real scary verse. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's pretty frightening unless you read verse 16 and realize, but hey, it's okay because he's going to give you mercy. Now, I'm not saying you have a license to sin. I'm not saying you can just go out there and blow it randomly or whatever you want to. Um, but it's nice to know there's grace for us when we need it. In closing, let me just give you some practical challenges. How honest are you with others about your sin? Do you share openly where your weaknesses are? Do you share openly what you're struggling with? When you say, uh, I know with guys, I think, one of the, I think every guy in here should be struggling with this, is, is just area of lust. When you talk to your roommate or talk to someone that you're struggling with lust, you just leave it at that. Well, I'm struggling with lust, period. Or do you get specific? I struggle with lust about this one person. So every time that my friend will see me talking to that one girl, he'll know to ask me about it. That's accountability. That's honesty, I think. Are you being honest with your sin? If not, start. Sit down with someone. Sit down with your RA, your RD, your roommate, someone. Find someone who you can talk to who's approachable and tell them where you're struggling. I think you're stupid if you are bleeding and you don't tell someone. Isn't that retarded? Like chopping off your foot and going, well, no, I'm okay. Uh-uh. Get help. Get help. We all need it. Second challenge, how approachable are you? Have you got everything in a row? Are you perfect? Are you getting everything together and you've got your image so set up and you're hiding well behind your pulpit? Whoop. Sorry. That was funny. Um, see, I, I find most people here are so willing to confront the chomping at the bit, just waiting to set someone straight. Look at yourself for a sec. Get the log out of your own eye, you know what I mean? How approachable are you? Can people come up to you and talk to you? Do they feel comfortable with you? Do they really? See, there's a, there's a, the area of confrontation, like I said, I hate being confronted. I don't like it at all. And, uh, but I found one rule of thumb for me is if someone's confronting me, keep my mouth shut. Just listen. Because my first immediate response is always sinful. I don't know how I, you know, every time, my first response is, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, not that bad, really, you're wrong. And I just, you know, jump all over them, sin again. <laughs> just 
just listen. When someone's confronting you, listen. Be approachable. Be someone who's willing to listen and not speak so much. The last one, I want you to realize that God is already pleased with us. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Jesus said to the disciples, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Isn't that cool? Kind of takes away that whole fear aspect. Perfect love casts out fear, right? So knowing this, knowing that God has clothed us in Christ's righteousness and that there's no condemnation, we've got nothing to lose by being honest except our own little image, our own reputation maybe. It's time to start weighing some costs to see what it really means to you, whether it be honest or to keep up the image. There's a, a lot of times when I sit down with my Bible in the morning, I'll open it up and I'll be looking at it just going, my heart's not in it. I don't want to read and what I used to do is I would just force myself. And if I just try harder, it'll get better. And it became just a grind. A grind. That's not the way it's supposed to be. What I found instead is just I just go to God and I go, God, I know I need to be hungering for your word. And I want to hunger for your word. Give me the hunger. And the fact is, if this is not your source of food, you need to find out what is. What is? What's feeding you? What are you being satisfied by? Let's just start being honest and quit pretending. Um, because of lack of time, I want to play you a song called Honesty by Margaret Becker, but I think I'm going to go ahead and close now. So, um, I'll just really challenge you. Really challenge you. Quit pretending. Quit acting like you're okay. Everyone knows you're not. How's that? <laughs> Let's pray.